You're listening to the ILLA podcast, the online home of lectures and conversations hosted by the Institute for International Law and the Humanities at the Melbourne Law School. Hello everyone, welcome to this Skills Circle convened jointly by ILLA and the University of New South Wales Critique Network. This Skills Circle continues our multi-part series on writing book proposals. Today's session is chaired by Dr. Ben Golder from the UNSW Law School and convener of the Critique Network. I'll leave it to him to introduce our two special guests. Uh, book proposal, that was part one. Welcome to part two. Part one um, was brought to us through um, uh, by Michelle Lipinski at the University of California Press that gave us a particular slant towards uh, small to mid-range American presses. And today we are particularly uh, happy to be joined by Tom Randall from uh, Cambridge University Press. And after he speaks to us for, I think, roughly around 10 to 15 minutes uh, on that topic of how to uh, pitch a book proposal, we might take some questions, a first round of questions, perhaps, which you can uh, tee up in the chat function, and we will we'll make a list of that. And then we will go to Dr. Kate Storr, who I, we are really happy to have join us today uh, to give us an authorial perspective. Usually, we would go around and get you all to uh, somewhat embarrassingly unmute and introduce yourselves, but we won't do that today because we've got um, you know, a lot of you on the participant list I can see already. So without further ado, I might jump to Tom uh, and say very a, a huge thank you and a note of welcome again uh, for joining our group. Tom, over to you. Thank you, Ben. Uh, so yeah, hi, my name is Tom Randall. Um, as Ben's introduced me, I'm a commissioning editor at Cambridge University Press. So I'm based in the UK. Um, it's a bit earlier here than it is with you. Um, I hope you're all keeping well. Um, so I'm mainly you know, responsible for uh, supporting authors developing books in international law, related subject areas there. Uh, European law is another big focus for me, um, but my remit is quite large. Um, my main focus is on uh, supporting authors based in the UK, uh, Europe, um, and Australia as well. I hope this will be a useful session for you all. I won't overload you with those information. I think it's really important that we keep it quite clear and simple, and a lot of the interesting things will come out of the discussion. So I'm going to leave a lot of room for questions. Feel free to ask. It's a very informal session. Very happy to answer any questions that you might have, however silly they might seem, because um, I'm sure someone else is probably thinking the same thing. Um, great. So I think the first thing I wanted to just say was, um, wherever you are in your PhD studies, whether you've finished or you're in your second year, um, have a think about what you really want to achieve with this, um, with, with a potential book proposal. Not every PhD thesis will turn into a book um, that's effective. Um, some might be more uh, suitable uh, as, as publishers' journal articles instead. So think about what the most effective um, a way of building on your research and your writing is uh, uh, for what you want to achieve in your next steps. Uh, so have you finished a PhD? Have you published a few articles as well, uh, already? Is a monograph right for you at this stage? I mean, um, it's a massive time commitment. It's more work than you might imagine. Um, it's definitely worth it in the long run, but just think about what you want to achieve. Are you likely to be moving in the next six months to pursue a job somewhere abroad? All these sorts of things you need to factor into um, committing to a, a, book pro, a book project at this stage. Um, and like I said, publishing two strong journal articles out of your PhD might be just as effective. So, and that's definitely just as valid a route. Uh, so just think about these things before you jump into this, uh, into this process. 
So you're thinking about, so say you decide to, to, uh, to go forward and to, to pursue a book project, um, having done your PhD, building on your PhD thesis, um, have a really careful think about which publisher is right for you. Um, there, as you'll know, there are quite a few. I heard you've spoken to Michelle already um, about this. Obviously, based in the States, it's quite a different uh, field. Um, I'm based in the University Press um, in the UK. Obviously, Oxford University Press is a very established player um, in, in, this, in this field as well. Um, and as I've said, I'm mainly focusing on uh, talking from a, a, an international law perspective. If we have people from different disciplines here, a lot of the thing, same things will apply, but just uh, obviously factor in different, uh, different jurisdictional and uh, disciplinary uh, factors as well. Um, but yeah, thinking about your publisher is a really important thing. Research them thoroughly. Um, when you are developing a proposal, uh, that is something that will become very evident uh, as soon as we receive that from you. So think about um, which is the right publisher for you, looking at kind of books that you find most useful and valuable. Um, which, which publisher were they published by? Which series were they published by? Um, all these sorts of things. Um, do you have authors who are um, kind of taking a particular uh, methodological approach? Um, might that be better suited for somewhere like Hart Publishing? Might that be better suited for Edward Algar Publishing? I think about all these things. Um, and don't be afraid to reach out as well to, and talk to uh, different publishers about their different publishing um, programs because they will vary, they will differ, um, they'll have different priorities for the next few years, they'll have different um, expertise. Um, at Cambridge, uh, we have quite a strong uh, program in international law, um, and that uh, includes quite a lot of um, international criminal law, a growing field um, of uh, a growing, growing um, crop of, uh, kind of international humanitarian law um, books coming through. Um, and we have new series on international environmental law as well. So we, we are covering quite a lot of bases there uh, within public international law. Uh, but yeah, just having an understanding of what the, each publisher does well, um, where they're known to be a, a strong and effective publisher. That's really important to bear in mind. Um, I'll cover this question, I'll cover this point very quickly now. We can come on to this later in the questions, but exclusivity is another important thing to bear in mind. If you are submitting to a publisher, um, just bear in mind their exclusivity policy because that can differ between different publishers. Uh, so for those of you who aren't aware, uh, exclusivity refers to publishing, or sorry, submitting a proposal to more than one publisher at one time, which I completely understand is a very fair um, and, and uh, an understandable thing to do. It's a very um, uh, kind of uncertain job market, it's very competitive. Um, you want to make sure that you're covering the basis that you can, and I think that's a very understandable approach. At Cambridge, we don't have a, a formal exclusivity policy. I know that other publishers such as OUP and I think Hart as well do. So just bear that in mind when you are thinking about putting together a proposal, making sure that you're not um, shooting yourself in the foot by approaching uh, different publishers at the same time. Um, and as I said as well, don't be afraid to make tentative inquiries. Speak to publishers. Um, in different formats. This is a great forum for doing that sort of thing. We have the opportunity to ask questions and share that kind of knowledge. Uh, but also feel free to just reach out with an email. I'm very happy to answer questions over email or a range of phone calls, Skype call. Um, conferences, when they start happening again, will be a, a great place as well to informally meet an, uh, an editor and to get a better sense of um, them, their approach, the publisher, the kinds of books that, they, uh, that they're, they're bringing through.
Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about the proposal itself. Um, like I said, research a publisher really, really carefully and plan carefully. Make sure you're spending enough time on uh, actually making sure that the, the proposal is doing what you want it to do and really articulating your, your key uh, strengths um, and, and claims as well. So again, check the publisher's requirements. Um, I can send on our general star, um, proposal guidelines after the school so you can get a sense of what we're expecting from CEP. Um, but generally you can expect to prepare a proposal uh, and two sample chapters. Now those sample chapters we would expect to see um, revised in some way. So having uh, undergone some kind of um, development following the PhD uh, Viva examination process uh, defense. So um, that basically is just a, a chance for you to give a demonstration of what you're intending to do with the book as opposed to what you've done uh, in the PhD thesis already. Um, an introduction and uh, one sample chapter, one substantive chapter that gets into the, the heart of what you're trying to do in terms of methodology and an approach, that's really effective and the most useful uh, for us as well in getting a sense of what you're trying to do with the project. So again, talking about probably what's most applicable for you, talking about developing a proposal that is um, built on your PhD thesis. Um, another really essential part that we would expect to see as part of a proposal is a revision plan. So like I've said, we would expect to see sample chapters developed in some way, um, and then a revision plan would be part of that proposal, uh, kind of detailing what we'd see from you in terms of your revision. So what we were planning to do to build in your PhD thesis, are you planning to add another chapter? Are you planning to add a comparative um, element to that? Um, how are you broadening the research you've got from your four years, four years or so, um, to make it more suitable as a publishable monograph? Because I think that's the, that's the key thing I want you to take away from this. Um, a publishable, mon publishable monograph is a very different thing to a PhD thesis. But don't be disheartened, a PhD thesis can be an excellent uh, foundation for that. And, and we'll, we'll hear from Kate as well, who's a great example of that. Um, so the revision plan is very important, but it's an essential part that we'd expect to see from you. Um, and I think at this stage as well, it's really important to, like I said, take some time to prepare this. Uh, if you have just, for example, finished your, your PhD studies, uh, <clears throat> it's very, very common to take some time to uh, to develop it, to have a think about what you want to achieve with the book. Um, the most effective proposals I've seen, the strongest proposals I've seen, have typically uh, come in maybe a year or so after um, the defense, after the, uh, the student, the, the author has, uh, has finished their studies. Um, it gives them a bit of time to reflect, to really build on um, what I have seen is to be quite a lot of experience um, accrued in that time. So I think. Um, you might be starting a postdoc, you might be going into teaching, you might be going into um, starting a, a work on other projects. Um, I think from my own experience, I've seen authors really grow in that time and it really feeds into a stronger proposal. So if you have the time, you don't have the pressure, um, definitely take a six months to 18 months after that to, to really work on this. Um, and that will give you a bit more perspective to think about what you actually want to say. This is your first opportunity uh, with a monograph to, to make a real valuable contribution to your field. Um, and you can be so much bolder and so much more confident than um, you might feel you can be during your PhD. 
there are lots of formal things, lots of practical things um, that you need to do as part of your thesis, um, which you don't need to do so much um, in your PhD, uh, sorry, in your, um, in your book proposal. So uh, definitely feel you can be more bold, definitely feel you can be more confident. Um, and for those authors that do take that approach, we can, it's really clear and evident in a proposal that we see. Uh, so um, definitely feel like you're making a bold claim, a, a, a clear claim. I think that's, um, that's always really, really important um, when we're looking for a proposal. What is this book trying to do? What is this book um, doing that hasn't been done before? Where are you innovating? Where are you being novel? What, have you, what are you bringing to the field that hasn't been really discussed at length or, or before? So that's really important. Um, again, Michelle might have touched on this as well, but when we're looking at a proposal, it's really important that we get a sense from you as the author that you know who you're writing for. So um, again, as part of the proposal, be really clear as to who you think you're, well, who you're targeting your audience to be. Um, and to be perfectly honest, uh, if most of you here are um, uh, PhD students working on their first book, that will be a primarily academic-based uh, audience, research-based audience. I don't expect that to be, um, and this is not to undermine your research or anything at all, but um, it's not to undermine, uh, sorry, it's, um, uh, it's not going to be necessarily a hard-hitting impact book that's going to be the bestseller. It's not going to be the next Philip Sands necessarily. Um, but I think it's really important to establish that firm base with your first book. Uh, and that will be with a primarily academic audience. So just reflecting that in your proposal, um, being realistic, not being um, too broad in your scope, uh, that's really important, I think. So just being clear in your proposal there. Um, presentation. Presentation is important. Um, it's quite, I suppose it's quite evident when an author hasn't necessarily taken the time to read over their proposal. Um, I, I know that sounds really obvious, but uh, <laughs> you would be surprised. I think just make sure you take the time, send it to your friends, send it to your peers, send it to your supervisor, um, and get their feedback at every stage of the way, because I think it's, uh, it's always really important to get those who've been through these processes, um, views, inputs, advice, it's really, really helpful. And uh, uh, yeah definitely take that on board. Presentation is important. Um, make sure it's clear, make sure it's professional. Um, I suppose um, I get authors sometimes when they're working on a proposal to ask, are you, are you expecting to see it in Cambridge style? Uh, are you trying to adopt a particular house style? Is that gonna get me through the door? Not necessarily, I think the most important thing, I think at any stage of the process, even uh, when you're submitting the final manuscript, um, is that we see a project that is clear um, and consistent throughout. So as long as you're articulating your ideas in a very clear, um, focused way, that is the most important thing. So, um, so yeah, no need to follow house style rules to the letter. That's absolutely fine. Um, okay, and yeah, like I said, seek advice. Talk amongst yourselves. This is a great forum for, for sharing that kind of information and and uh, and getting good feedback and getting good advice. So hopefully, um, hopefully you can draw on that experience as well. Tom, can hi. I? Hi, it's Sandia here. I'm hi, sorry Sandia. I was late. Thank you so much. I know it's seven a.m. for you. That's um, okay. You're you're probably just going to get to it, but I just wondered if I could just uh, hold you on one question. Of course. Uh, and I'm speaking as a person who reviews a lot of manuscripts for CUP here. Um, what, 
What's your view on the voice? So when you say mm. you can be more bold than in your PhD, I think that's right. Um, but one of the things that I sometimes wish younger authors would do is be more modest. So mm. they think that they have to say that they're setting the world on fire. And when you are the reviewer, you think, oh, they're not really. But this would be a really good book if they were a bit more self-aware about the actual scope of their claims. Do you have mm. a view on whether it's better to do the big sell or be a bit more modest? Thanks, Sanjay. That is a very good point. Um, I suppose the mo point on modesty is a very good one. I think you can be, you can demonstrate confidence um, in your claim and your, and your, and the way you're expressing the project. Uh, and that will come across very well. But I think that's what I was, I suppose what I was trying to lean towards in being aware and, and understanding your, who this book will be for. It will be for an academic audience. Its reach will be relatively limited and that's okay, that's fine. I think it's just, um, as Sinja says, it's very important that you understand the limits of where this book will go. Um, uh, it may well be a very novel contribution to the field, but just being aware of, um, uh, kind of if it is targeted towards a specialist audience just being aware of that when I when I spoke about the claim as well I think it's it's it is helpful for us and it is exciting for us to see some an author taking a really engaging novel approach to to um, uh, to a new field or, or to a field that's emerging um, but like I said I suppose it's more confidence that we're looking for confidence mm -hmm. in their writing confidence in what they have to say um, but I think Sundra does make a very valid point that over, overconfidence can also be something which um, doesn't impact us in quite the same positive way. Um, I hope that's not too vague. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think uh, one of the things I often struggle with when I write book proposals is that question of how you locate it in the books that have gone before and the readership. So you know how in the CUP thing, it's got the proposal form, it has, um, it, it's sort of saying, what's your competition? Mm. Uh, but it's also, there's a funny thing about the overlap between your desired readership and the books that are already out there. And I find that 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 line is quite hard to tread because sometimes the books that I would name as the competitors are the same people as the ones who I want to be my audience. So I don't know if you have any advice about how to frame the contribution vis-a-vis -vis other works in the field and whether you are that, um, how much, how important that part of the proposal is. I think um, it's, a, it's a good point. Thank you, Sinjir. I think, um, it is important and um, you will see from the proposal guidelines that they send around that is a requirement that we'd also expect to see. Uh, it is important and I think it's very clear when, particularly when we, if, we were get to, if we were to get to peer review stage, um, that an author has um, omitted certain books or not necessarily demonstrated they have the full understanding of the discipline that they're writing in. Um, and I, I think personally, even if that includes um, certain, uh, uh, if that includes certain um, uh, kind of authors who are 
kind of within that audience base i think that's mm. that's okay that's that's absolutely fine i think um in a way it's um it's demonstrating an understanding that you are kind of almost aligning either your methodology your approach um your topics with those authors um i don't see that necessarily as overlapping too much and from a from a publisher point of view it's not a red flag it's not something we go okay so this book has already been published in this way yeah. uh, with this other person it's more just okay what are you doing to, to build on that yeah um, yeah i know sometimes i get proposals and i think that the person who wrote the proposal who says oh you know, these books are competitors, but this person's wrong and that person's wrong and that mm. person's wrong. And I think, but those are all the people to whom the publisher's going to send the proposal. You're mad to put it like this. So it's good to hear that you can um, profess a similarity and sort of consonance rather than just trashing the stuff that's gone before and that publishers appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think especially when you get to review stage, um, taking that, very confrontational approach in a proposal um does not go down particularly well so yeah. just be modest and and uh, yeah that's that's a good approach i think okay um i have one very final one small final point and then we can open up to questions because i think it's probably a good time uh so again i think just take as much or try and find as much as possible about the process up front um I often hear from authors at this stage that it seems like a very opaque process. They didn't know what to expect. And so I hope this kind of thing um, does help to, uh, to try and demystify the process a bit and, and to give you more uh, of an understanding of what to do and kind of how to be successful in this process, I think. So, um, so yeah, speak to your supervisors, speak to your peers, share your experiences. Um, and yeah, very happy to answer any questions that you might have now. Tom, that's fantastic and very rich and generous of you uh, to get up so early to come and talk to our group. So thank you on behalf of uh, everybody. I think it perhaps might make more sense if we were to shoot straight to Kate to talk about her experience and then um, to tee up some questions perhaps that you could each address towards the end of the session. So if that's okay with you, uh, with you all, I might shoot now to uh, Dr. Kate Storr, latterly, um, uh, of Melbourne Law School where she did her PhD about which she'll be talking about its transition uh, into a CUP book um, but she is now at the University of Technology Sydney although I have lost track of what city she is actually physically resident in at the moment and from where she is zooming but perhaps she can tell us herself. Kate over to you. Thank you Ben. Hello everyone. Yes I am in Melbourne the pestilential centre of Australia. Um, yeah, hi everyone, it's really nice to be here. Um, it is somewhat daunting actually to think back over the, the three years really that it's taken me from submitting my PhD to the process we're at now where the book is about to be released. It's really nice to see Tom. Hi Tom. We've um, exchanged probably a hundred emails over the last couple of years but never actually seen each other so it's very very lovely to put a face to the name. Um, thinking about what I had to share with you today the major points that I want to just make at the start is that the process from submitting a PhD to completing and publishing a monograph really is a marathon and not a sprint and it's a commitment that 
I think I probably underestimated how long it would take and I underestimated uh, the amount of work that it would take. And I say that just to reiterate some of the points that Tom made about really thinking seriously at the start about whether a monograph is right for you. It may not be right. And these days, because I think the role of the monograph in an academic career has really changed, you have a choice about whether you want to convert that work into a monograph or not. And doing it or not doing it are both equally valid choices. So it is something to consider really seriously about whether it's right for you. That said, sometimes I think that as recently completed doctoral candidates, we're not necessarily the best judge of whether the work is right um, to be published because I think we are our harshest critics. We tend to lose a lot of confidence in the significance of the work um, at various points in the process. And having sounding boards about whether that transition to publication is right for you is really, really necessary. And you want, you want your peers, your supervisors, but also other mentors in the field, people at other universities, people who've heard you speak at conferences, et cetera, et cetera, to cast a wide net in making that decision about whether it's right for you or not, because um, you're not the best judge. I, I just think that we cane ourselves as doctoral candidates and we have terrible self-confidence at certain points and we don't know how to adjudge the value of our own work sometimes. Um, so the, I'll talk a little bit about the actual proposal process. So the first thing to realise, and this I have, you know, all due credit to Sandhya, who is really the one who, who really brought this point home for me throughout various aspects of the academic career, is that the book proposal is a genre of writing and you don't know what the genre is until you've read others. You just don't know what the conventions are. And so I do recommend that um, you do take the time to source book proposals, to read the book proposals that others have prepared, to read widely within the genre, not just the ones that you can access to the publisher that you are planning to submit to, but also to other publishers. So you get a sense of how things differ, what makes a proposal to that publisher specific and different, what the specific character of that is and what they might be looking for. So think about genre. And the other thing is to just really understand the difference between a thesis and a book. You're not selling a thesis, you're getting a thesis examined. A book is meant to be sold. And even though it's right, as Tom says, that um, the audience for academic works is necessarily confined in some way, you do still want to be thinking like a publisher when you're putting the proposal together. You're not writing it for an examiner. You are not nailing down the doctrinal or the methodological specificities of what it is that makes your work unique. You really want to be able to show that you can convey the message in a way that is convincing and succinct and shows a demonstration of an awareness of audience that might not have to be there necessarily in, in the doctoral thesis itself. Um, I'm not sure, Tom, if, if that kind of resonates with you, but I have, over my time, read other people's book proposals where I see that 
incredibly talented, like far more intelligent and talented people than I get lost in the um, very meticulous academic detail of their work and forget how to convey its importance to an editor. And that is a, you know, in some respects it's just heartbreaking because I see people eaten by their own anxiety uh, and not realising what it is that makes their work uh, valuable to others. And so keeping an eye on that, on the bigger picture, is really, really important as you're putting the proposal together. Um, the next point I wanted to make is that people, myself included, tend to sort of both underestimate and overestimate the transition process, like what it takes to convert a PhD to a book. I, I made some silly judgments. Like I went back and I've read my proposal and I was just like, far out. Did I really think it was going to take me seven months? Like what, what planet was I on? So my first, my first comment would be that whatever amount of time you think you can deliver the manuscript in, triple it because I think that would probably be more accurate <laughs> as to where you actually end up and that would save yourself the process of having to feel the guilt about missing a deadline that you were never going to reach in the first place having to go through the like kind of mendicant like emails to the publisher saying I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm missing another deadline just be honest with yourself at the start about what the how how long the conversion is going to take and you don't know that you won't necessarily know that ask ask other people who've gone through it and you'll find that in almost every circumstance it's taken a lot longer than they originally thought it would take um, so don't underestimate the time the second thing is don't overestimate what you can actually do i think some people I've seen talk themselves out of publishing a book because they basically think they need to write a whole second PhD, like a whole another work, effectively a, a postdoc on top of it. And if that's what you're actually planning on doing, stop and don't think about pitching that work. If what you actually want to do is start again and move on to the postdoc, then do that rather than try and turn a PhD into a whole other project. Don't, you don't have to put yourself through that. That's a really, really big ask. Um, and the work is probably as it is, if you have had a good relationship with your supervisors, you've had the examiner's reports back, treat that as the work. Don't write a whole second book and try and shoehorn it into that same book. I've seen so many people do it and it's an agonising process that, you know, you don't have to do. So don't think you have to write, you know, turn a PhD on, I don't know, international humanitarian law into the second Rawls theory of justice. Like you're not going to do it. it it's not going to happen. So know what it is, know the scope of what it is that you've done and work with that. Um, rather than trying to upscale it to something enormous um, yeah, or turn it into something that it isn't. Uh, don't do that to yourself. <laughs> um, the last couple of points I just wanted to make um, is that I've also seen some people, Tom mentioned exclusivity before, which is obviously a really crucial part of the process, but I've seen very sensible, very intelligent people do very odd things around book proposals. Like that, for example, submitting them to a publisher, never hearing back, 
and then proceeding to do nothing about their book for the next nine to 12 months because they didn't get a response. I find this thoroughly strange. So I, if you didn't get a response, follow up in three or four weeks and say, hi, I'm just want to follow up. I wrote, I wrote this, you know, at that point, is there anything else I need to do to, to forward this? Um, don't, sit there and twiddle your thumbs for nine months and think that the hand of God has passed judgment upon you because you didn't receive a response. I've really, I've seen that happen to so many people um, and they, I wouldn't say waste, but they lose the opportunity of proceeding with that process for often nine or 12 months because they don't hear back. And I think editors totally understand the role of the monograph in um, an early career researcher's career progression they understand that it has significance and they they don't want to hold us up for no good reason so follow up um have the confidence to follow up don't badger people but don't get lost in the waiting room of the process thinking that you have been judged cruelly by some you know abstract critic critic because you probably haven't they just know it under they've lost track whatever it might be um Yes. The last point I wanted to make is that I mean, a few of my PhD crew who I was, you know, really, really lucky to go through with a wonderful bunch of people and we've all, it's something like a similar process with, with the book is that we all just call it a zombie. It's a zombie. You kill it and it keeps coming back. Like you, you finish the PhD, then all of a sudden you have to write the book proposal and then that comes back and then you get, you know, the peer, the, the reviewers so that that comes back again and then you put in the typescript and then that comes back and then the proofs and then it comes back like you can't kill it you're just never going to kill it so don't waste your energy um at any one of those points you need stamina because it's going to take a long time you are going to have to keep um at it and yeah don't be prepared for it to keep coming back even when you feel you might have exhausted your reserves and potentially your own interest in it it will keep coming back to you um so have all of that in in mind at the start i am at the point now where i can't uh, unfortunately i can't sort of say to you all it's wonderful and everything's great at the end because i'm still waiting you know it's about to come out so i sort of haven't had the um the the sense of that completion of it being received and seeing the physical product and all of that, that's about to happen. And I'm really, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but do bear in mind that there's a reason why it takes time and that time you do need to factor in to the process from the start. Um, the very, very last thing I want to say, and then, and then I'm done is to be kind and polite to everybody that you encounter through the process. And that's with your supervisors when you're asking um, for feedback, with your examiners, with other um, early career researchers who you might be contacting to ask for the proposal, with editors, with everybody. Just, um, I think sometimes our own anxieties can um, blind us to the fact that, that it's sometimes, you know, you're asking for time, people's time and effort and being kind and professional and polite about that the whole way through and to yourself is, is really important because it does take time. Everybody is under immense time pressure. 
um, and yeah, being kind and, and polite and professional the whole way through, I think really matters. It really matters. Um, yeah, that's all I had to say. Kate, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, incredibly rich reflections from you as well. And I think, yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> there's a lot there. But the one theme I think that um, I guess I would extract from what you've just said, specifically talking about the transition from what is often a very isolating and alienating experience of doing a PhD. And as you point out, one in which your confidence tends to be pummeled uh, at key moments, I guess is the importance of really, just on a really basic level, um, is reaching out and talking to other people, not just in terms of reading, as Sanya rightly suggested to you, it sounds like early on in the process, to read other versions of the genre just to get a sense of the, you know, conventions, but to actually you know, to, to kind of test your ideas with other people, with your supervisors, uh, to talk to publishers early and often. Um, and I suppose it, opt it, you know, <laughs> listening to you as well, it sounds like what was really important for you and is probably going to be just as important for many of the people on this call is the community of scholars going through that process of transitioning <laughs> from a PhD uh, into hopefully a published author uh, at the end in terms of getting support. Uh, and sometimes I suspect uh, in terms of some of your friends and colleagues having to stage an intervention um, to get you to, to to really try and kill that zombie, not to kind of let it continue to kind of, I'm going to lose track of my metaphors, but you get the idea. I'm sure we can all think of people who have allowed that process of um, of turning their PhD into a book to kind of linger longer than than it should have. Um, so there's a there's a great deal there. I'm going to attempt. Can I uh, feed you some questions you can, from the chat? Because yeah, I can sounds, gather them together. It's hard to do everything at once. That sounds excellent. I was going to say, I, you know, I'm gearing up to start teaching online where I'm going to have to actually queue my own questions. But treat so me, me with my... Let me um, gather a couple. So a couple of questions are for you, Tom, about time frame. You might have already looked at the chat, but one person wants to know about the time frame from proposal to publication and another person wants to know about... Uh, a series so I guess the comparative and international law series would be one example of that but is it a different process for a series um, and another time question is about if you don't hear back when when can you expect to hear back from the publisher uh, and when should you go and lick your wounds and send it to someone else so the time frame question and the series question okay thank you Sanjay um, yeah very good questions uh, and I will try not to be too vague again with the time frame question. It, I think because it really depends on, as Kate was saying, um, how it will probably take longer than you think because you are you're planning ahead. You're thinking it's going to take six months. It actually takes eighteen um, in terms of the writing. Uh, but all in all, um, I think typically I've seen um, books come through in maybe two to and a half years. So I think. Kate's example actually um, of her own book is a really um, representative one. Uh, I think, uh, I think Kate, did you submit your proposal around October 2017? Is that about right? Uh, I just, I checked, it was February 2018. Okay, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, so about two and a half years. Um, and I think that's probably pretty standard, I think. Um, I, I haven't seen any come through any quicker than that really I think the process takes some time there is um, obviously the initial um, 
assessment in-house uh, with our editorial team at the press. Uh, we'd go through a review process, we'd have a discussion with you. Um, I won't go into too much detail about it, but uh, at Cambridge and at Oxford as well, we have this approvals process which includes um, uh, the university. So basically they um, approve everything that we publish. And so there is that approvals process to negotiate as well. Um, and yeah, and then following that, assuming all goes well and we, we offer you a contract, um, then the writing begins, uh, actually the work begins, and, and then there's the publication process, which um, in terms of production, uh, typically takes around seven to eight months, which we're trying to reduce as much as possible. But that's the kind of um, time frame I think is, is pretty representative. Um, in terms of publishing within a series, I think that is a really great question as well, because um, both Sunja and Kate will be published um, in the Cambridge Studies in International and Comparative Law series. Uh, which is a very long-running series um, with Cambridge, um, and in some, in many ways, our flagship series. Uh, so I work very closely with the series editors for that series, um, and the the process will vary very, very slightly with different series. But I think generally, um, if you have an interest in submitting to a series, um, perhaps you think that, like we spoke about earlier your approach, your methodology is really well aligned with um, the mission of that series. Um, or you know of other books um, that you've particularly found useful or you've enjoyed or um, you want to kind of aspire to be like, uh, and they've been in a particular series, again, feel free to, to, to note a series um, in your proposal and, and we can consider that. Um, you might also want to, um, speak to the series editors independently before that. So if you do have an interest in, for example, publishing in international and comparative law, you might want to speak to uh, one of the two series editors, uh, Jean d'Aspermont uh, and uh, Larissa van den Herrick um, at Manchester Sciences Po and Leiden. Um, and just get their initial views. Is this something that they're looking to, um, to include? Is your book kind of appropriately aligned? Um, would this be a good fit? Um, yeah, and I think, again, similar to researching the publisher, researching the series would be very, very important. So looking at, for example, we have information on different, excuse me, different series on our websites. Uh, go there, look at the blurbs, look at the books in the series, and make sure that you, what you're doing and saying in the proposal is really um, putting forward the best case for your book being included in that series. So I think that's a really important thing. If you have, um, so again, just to summarize, I suppose, uh, if you have an interest in a series or being considered for a series, note it in your proposal. Don't, feel free to speak to the series editors in advance. And, um, and then, yeah, we'll take that into consideration. And from then on, the process is very, very similar. So pretty much as, so as usual. A couple of quick questions. One is the, mm. I think, Actually, Kate's already uh, touched on this. So someone says, how, how much time should someone wait to send the proposal to another publisher when they don't hear back? But I guess the better question or the different way of putting that question might be, what's the, how long do you wait before sending a polite follow-up to say, I haven't heard from you? Um, and then presumably someone will get back and say no or yes, possibly at that point. Yeah, so in response to that question, I think um, we try to give a, an answer within a week to two weeks. I think if you mm -hmm. haven't heard after that time, 
feel free to follow up with an email. Um, as Kate says, if, if we haven't got back to you, or if an editor hasn't got back to you, um, they're probably just snowed under. So yeah, always feel free to be polite and just send a follow up then. And a couple of questions about how much can you publish before, as articles before sending it as a book and does it matter one way or the other? Yeah, these are really good questions. So um, thank you, Valeria and, um, Helen. and Helen. Yeah, um, not necessarily. I think we have a general guideline of as long as the final book as planned, so the final monograph isn't made up of more than, say, 20% of previously published material, that's a general, generally a good rule of thumb. So that usually equates to about a chapter or two um, which have been published perhaps in journal articles or a book chapter in another book. Um, ideally, the book would be entirely new material. Uh, I think that's always um, a good sign to us that you're um, not kind of rehashing old work. Um, but that's not necessarily a negative sign either. I think uh, the book will be a very different context for that work than the journal article. The journal article will be self-sufficient. Um, a chapter in a book will be part of a greater whole. So um, I'd say no more than two chapters, certainly. Tom, just while you're on um, that train of thought, I wonder if I could just jump in with another quick question. This is a question that we asked um, Michelle, uh, but I'm not gonna tell you her answer, just in case your answer is interestingly different to her answer. But just to put you on the spot, um, my question is how, well, that's prejudging it. Do you want to see, for example, examiner's reports um, bundled up with a proposal to you where it's an example of a PhD turning into a book? And if you do, how important are they in the making of your decision? That's a really good question. Thank you, Ben. And um, my response to that is always not essential, but helpful. Uh, it can be helpful for us internally. Uh, we would never send them out to a reviewer. We'd never send them externally. Um, but sometimes they can be quite illuminating just to see, okay, so one of the examiners has said, oh, well, it'd be great if the author did this, um, revised this or, or, or added this part. And if that isn't addressed in the proposal, that's always interesting. Why, why is that? Why has that not been the case? So, um, it can be quite helpful, but yeah, definitely not essential by any means. That's interesting. Thank you. And just for your own information, her answer to that question was actually not helpful, not particularly helpful okay. at all, which, which I thought was rather soul crushing because I tend to okay. spend when I'm examining PhDs, um, a fair bit of time crafting mm -hmm. comments that I think um, with my kind of examiner hat on are going to be helpful to a, a PhD student or candidate in pitching a book to a um, publisher. It's good to hear that that's possibly of more utility to CUP than it was to you know, Stanford or to UC. I think there's also yeah. a difference between Britain and the United States in that regard and the role that a dissertation slash PhD yeah. plays. Yeah. Um, there's one question in the chat which I'm going to hold over from Millicent about financing um, because I think that raises a question which we should actually treat as a separate skills circle question about surviving financially in these mo in this moment. Um, and so we may not, uh, we actually should treat that question with great seriousness, but not in the eight minutes remaining with Tom and Kate. So I'm uh, not uh, pushing that question away. I'm embracing it and saying, let's do another skills circle about it. Um, 
but one person wants to know about how you know whether monograph is the right route or articles and I also have a question for both you and Kate um, which I'm surprised no one's asked yet but I think people would find it helpful to hear about responding to reviewers reports um, so maybe Tom you could uh, say something about the question of how do you know if the monographs for me and Kate you could say something about responding to referees or reviewers reports okay. uh, great thank you um, I think that's um, that's a good question I think as Ben said uh, your examiners will usually give an indication um, I've seen in examiners reports uh, a recommendation that a book is published that's not necessarily um, something that we'll say okay well we'll definitely publish but it's it is helpful to be aware of that um, I think getting feedback from conferences um, I didn't mention this earlier but I suppose just um, as part of your proposal a CV is really really important as well um, and just getting a sense that you've really engaged with the discipline engaged with your peers um, in other contexts is really helpful to see um, whether you've published before whether you've uh, presented at conferences Hopefully you should get a sense from those situations that actually there is there is something here in a book project rather than um, uh, kind of just focusing on developing a journal article. A journal article can be great, excellent and it can be really, really good, but it's so much more focused, so much more restraining. Um, and I think, yeah, just speak to peers as well. Um, get Find someone who you really trust their feedback and their, their opinion and will give honest feedback. Um, and I think that that would should uh, should help you make that decision. Sonia, what did me to say something about responding to reviewer reports from the publisher? Okay, yeah, I, I I mean I can only really comment on my experience with that, and and really Tom actually Tom's comments actually quite helped. So I got two um, sets of reviewer comments, and the distinct there. I'm just thinking about how much I give away here. Um, no, look, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be upfront about it. I mean, one did actually recommend that I entirely restructure the, the PhD um, from the ground up, make the same arguments, but structure it in an entirely different way. The other report did not say that. It, it made some suggestions about what, how I might rewrite the introduction, which of course is something that is probably necessary for a lot of PhDs and recommended the inclusion of pictures. Um, so Tom's, Tom prefaced sending those reviewer reports to me by saying that that first set of comments was something that they had considered and they didn't expect me to do. And so that I really, I really uh, was very grateful to that comment because it made me really think through, okay, how much am I going to back myself in the way that my methodology is actually part of the argument and part of the worth of the work that I've produced? Um, and so I essentially, in my response, said, look, I understand the point that perhaps it would be easier for a readership to be able to digest some of the arguments that I'm making in more bite-sized ways if I disaggregated the points in the way that that reviewer was suggesting. But to do that would fundamentally change the contribution of this book. And so I'm not going to do that. So that was a response where it demonstrated that I had, you know, I mean, I'd taken seriously the feedback and I, I thoroughly expect to get similar feedback from reviewers from the book because I think it will just be something that people have to say about it. But I chose to back myself with that and, and 
that I mean I'm I'm, I'm would be testing Tom's memory to to ask him to respond to that, but the you know the the proposal got up so be willing to back yourself and just realize that the feedback that you get is probably indicative of feedback you'll get when the book is out in the world. And it's up to you to decide whether you're happy to wear that feedback and that you have a response that you feel has integrity and thought behind it, or whether you think that feedback is something you need to act on to change the monograph as it, as it is. It's never going to be perfect there will be elements that you need to back and that other people don't agree with. That's part of the process. It's just an opportunity for you to think through which flaws you want to back and which flaws you want to remedy before it gets out. Can I add one small thing to that, please? Um, I think that's really, really good advice. And uh, it's basically just an illustration of the notorious reviewer B uh, issue. Um, and I think it kind of relates as well to what Sinja was saying about um, well, picking up on my point about making a bold claim, I think this is a really great stage to demonstrate your confidence and to be clear in what you want the book to do. Um, Kate explains it really well. Obviously, the book will go out into the world and it will be subject to all this kind of criticism and feedback. Um, so it's just a case of being polite as well, um, uh, being understanding and engaging with the points, but not necessarily taking them on board. So just knowing where to draw the line is, is really helpful at that stage. I think, um, can I share an experience of mine as a, when I was a baby author, um, which I think some of you already know about, but this thing of having perhaps more humility at the proposal stage and more hubris at the response to reviewer stage, because one of the things that is really useful, whether it be responding to a grant proposal or a referee's report for an article or for a book proposal, is having the confidence that comes from understanding the nature of your project. And so when I submitted my man, my proposal, my manuscript actually for, um, no, proposal for decolonising international law, I got one referee's report that said, this is rubbish. Don't publish this book. There'll be no market for it. Maybe some Australians will be interested in a book about imperialism and international law. And I was devastated. And my inclination was to put all three reviews into a drawer and forget about it. And luckily I showed the review to Susan Marks, who is Professor of International Law at the LSE, and she said, don't react to the report, respond to it. So forget about being defensive and having your ego bruised and all of that. Simply say that this person has a different account of international law to yours and that that's why your book is necessary. So the referee basically said, this person has it wrong, that, that this is not international law. And Susan said, have the courage of your convictions, which resonates with what Kate said. And don't be defensive. Take out every, every ounce of emotion and just say, actually, that's a different account of international law. And in, your, in my introduction, I'll address why my account of international law is necessary and how this kind of account is part of the reason why my account is necessary. And that was such good advice to have an absolutely calm detachment from the emotional wound that you can 
feel through a negative review and instead say, well, no, this is a hardcore positivist who thinks that empire is over and there's no more reason to think about it. And actually that's not correct. And here's the reasons why that's not correct. And so if you've spent four years or five, four, however many years writing that work, the least you can do is give yourself a moment to think through explaining the importance of it. And that's going to be a variation on responding to referee B, no matter what the context is, right? Why did you write it? Explain why you wrote it, essentially. Over to you, Ben. <laughs> You're still muted. I'm un now I'm unmuted. Um, so I was waiting for you to tee up questions, but are we at the end of our questions, Sandhya? Well, yeah. I think I think we're at the end of our but time. We're at the end of our time, whether we're at the end of our questions or not. Yeah. But, so, um, but I think we've point, addressed most of them. I think we have, and if we haven't, um, we can continue perhaps ourselves to try and address them in upcoming sessions on responding to feedback or on. I really like your idea, Sandra, of although it's daunting um, to try and respond properly to this. The question of uh, how to survive in the current moment um, financially, especially uh, as one of the questions pointed out in terms of supporting yourself to turn uh, the work that you've done as a doctoral student into a manuscript if you don't have a postdoc, for example, uh, which I think is a really excellent and, and pointed question. Um, so let's save that uh, for the intelligence of a future day. But just right now, while we're all still here Zooming, um, thank you to Tom and Kate. Uh, for your generosity and for your thoughtfulness in addressing this question. It was really excellent uh, to hear from both of you, um, uh, Kate giving us the author perspective and Tom giving us the publisher perspective. It was really fantastic to hear from both of you. Um, it's 5.03 here and there's a brewing childhood storm outside that door there. So I probably need to bring a swift end to proceedings. Thank you to both of you and thank you to everybody else uh, on the call. Um, we'll see and hear you next time. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Tom. That was marvellous. And thank you all for attending. Thank you, Ben, for chairing. You've been listening to the ILLA podcast. To find out more, go to soundcloud.com forward slash illa podcast. That's double I-L-A-H podcast.